0: Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. For longtime listeners, you are aware that our mission at Jew in the City is to break down stereotypes about Orthodox Jews. What you might not be aware of is that the original mission of Jew in the City was one Orthodox Jewish woman breaking down stereotypes about Orthodox Jews. When I first conceived of this idea to rebrand Orthodoxy, it was really me, myself, and I— now, I have to tell you, meetings at that point were actually quite boring and lonely um, because they were meetings of one. Um, but that was the the humble beginnings, and Baruch Hashem, we've grown tremendously over the last nine years. We just celebrated our ninth birthday. Um, and I dropped, actually, the one Orthodox Jewish woman breaking down stereotypes a few years back because it was getting to be so much bigger than me, and we were showing examples of different types of Orthodox Jews doing different out-of-the-box, unexpected things. As many of you are familiar with, we feature the Orthodox Jewish All-Stars every year. We have a new list that we posted recently, and we're showing Orthodox Jews who are really at the tops of their professional fields and really in leading roles um, in in every different industry, um, which we're so proud of to feature, and we've seen so many lives have changed. Um, but then, because, I don't know, someone always has to complain about something, I guess. We sometimes get the feedback, well, why do you only show people at the very tops of their field? Why don't you also show everyday people? And the thing is that what I've tried to explain to people is that people have to be, like, interesting and have some story about them to be worthy to, you know, have a conversation with or to be surprising. That is the nature of storytelling, um, but no, not every person we speak to needs to be a Nobel laureate. We only had one so far in our all-stars list. There are other people that are maybe not at the very tops of their professions, but are doing quite well and are doing out-of-the-box things and are just different examples of different slices of different Orthodox Jewish life. And so I keep my ears open for different examples of that. We had a from-female police officer on a few months ago, um, and we, we like to sort of you know change things up. I think specifically in the the space of working Orthodox Jewish women, um, that's something that we're especially interested to deal with because, well, first of all, women working in general I think is still something that the world is contending with, and, you know, there's always sort of challenges and how to balance the work and life thing, and I think every woman across every, you know, sphere has similar challenges like that, but... Specifically for Orthodox women, there is for sure an ongoing stereotype that Orthodox women are not allowed to work. And I've spoken to members of the media of large media outlets that argued with me endlessly that Orthodox women don't actually work when I assured them that many of us actually do. Um, and so not just to bring on an Orthodox Jew with a you know an interesting, unusual, Uh, profession and career, but to bring on a woman in an unusual professional career, um, and STEM no less, and STEM for women is all the rage, Um, I'm delighted to uh, to bring on Sharon Katz-Cooper today to speak about what it is like being a marine geologist, an Orthodox Jewish female marine geologist, so um, Sharon, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Sure, thank you for inviting me.
0: So when I met you at a speaking engagement that I did a a couple years ago, the truth is that I thought that you had said that you were a marine biologist. For some reason, marine biology seems to be something that people talk about so much more, and, you know, I don't know, just sort of in terms of pop culture, and you clarified you were a marine di- geologist, and I looked into it, and it looks actually fascinating, and I wonder why marine biologists get all the, you know, uh, I don't know, sort of <laughs> people talking about them, but um, if you could clarify what what you do as opposed to a marine biologist and, and how you got into this field of work.
1: Sure. I think marine biology is very... Um uh, popular because people imagine themselves working with dolphins and swimming around in the aquarium and that kind of thing. So, uh, so what marine geology is is actually not working so much with living things, but working with um, rocks. <laughs> and maybe rocks aren't quite as exciting sometimes as um, as dolphins and whales, which I, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what we're looking at is uh, the Earth, the the Earth itself, and um, how the Earth works and, you know, how it changes over time and and that kind of thing. So that's really what marine geology is. And um, I'm not actually um, a trained marine geologist. Mostly the the thing that I do is education. So I work with the scientists um, to explain and to work with teachers and students and help them understand what the science is and why it's interesting and how they could use it in their classrooms and and why we um, spend uh, government money because the program I work for is – is federally funded science, so why should we spend their tax dollars on on doing this kind of thing? It's important for people to understand, you know, what that is and why that's important.
0: So could you give us, like, for our listeners who have not gotten to your class yet, so what, what is our interest in marine geology? Like, why is this something that people should know about and care about and learn about? Well, because
1: we live on planet Earth, and okay. uh, it's important for us to understand a little bit more about uh, how our planet works and the biology and geology and environment and meteorology studying the the weather and climate and all those kind of things, they're all tied together. They're all related to each other. Um, and then it's also important to understand it in terms of hazards, right? So we learn, we study uh, volcanoes and earthquakes and why they happen, where they happen, and when they might happen next and how they've happened in the past and all those kind of things. And so those are also things that everybody should be a little bit concerned about because they could affect you or do affect you or have affected you. Um, and we spend a lot of uh, time and effort on um, you know, preparing for those kind of events, and if they happen, God forbid, um, you know, cleaning up after them and helping people. And so, so the study of the Earth is um, is really important to all
0: of us. And what what made you get interested in this line of work? Um, well, <laughs> uh, it was
1: um, you could call it hashkafah um, practice, you could call it serendipity. Um, I have done a lot of interesting. Um, sort of things in my career that have mostly, you know, been involved in education, and so I didn't set out to study marine geology. I sort of stumbled upon it. Uh, I was working on an ocean exhibit at a museum at the Smithsonian, and there was a piece of it that had to do with this program, with uh, the program that I work for now is, is about scientific ocean drilling, so that's how we get the samples and how we study the Earth is by pulling up Uh, samples from the ocean floor with a giant drilling ship, which doesn't drill for oil. A lot of people ask that right away, are we drilling for oil? And we're not drilling for oil, we're drilling for science. Um, But there's a piece of the exhibit that was all about this program because it's been so important in what everybody knows about the ocean and about the earth over time, over the past 40 or so years that the program has existed. So while I was working on the exhibit, I learned about this program. And then in the course of that work, I met people involved in it, and when that exhibit was finished, there was a job available in the program, so I was lucky enough to, to get that. And so I've been, now I've been doing it for about 10 years, so I've learned a huge amount um, just being on the job and working with amazing people, um, and it's, it's, been, uh, it's been really exciting to learn about. But it wasn't something that I set out and said, I must do this thing. You know? So it was more just something that I came across in the course of working on other ocean-related stuff.
0: But you started, I'm looking here at your bio now, so your BA is in Ecology and Evolutionary Biology. I never heard of an FES, What's, what does this mean? Um, environmental Studies. Got it, and is that like a so, master's degree or? Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a master's degree. Got it, degree. That's All right, right. so bachelor's in Princeton in Ecology and Evolutionary Biology, master's at Yale in Environmental Science, so... You were always interested in the workings of the world and, and evolution. did you start off as an orthodox Jew or you became to observance later in life? Yeah, I came to observance later
1: in life. I mean I was always interested in Judaism and I grew up in a i guess you would describe it as a probably reform um family and um then it wasn't until I got married that we to my husband and I sort of together uh became more became more religious.
0: And was there any, any one moment or any influence or any inspiration that you can pinpoint about how and why your journey towards observance began? Uh, well, there are many. I mean, one of them that I think about
1: often is that I, I did travel abroad um, when I was in college, so this was kind of a long process, um, you know, that I can, I can think of kind of started um, when I was in college, I was I went to Madagascar uh, to study lemurs, which is not related to the ocean. But at the time that I was I was studying lemurs, and um, in Madagascar there are pretty much zero Jews there, um, and everybody is either um, they've all they've been um, Christian missionaries there for many years, and the people are all African, um, what you um, you know, black Africans. And when they would talk to the few white people who were there, my colleagues and I, they would ask us, um, are you Catholic or Protestant? So Mm. those were the choices, you know, Catholic or Protestant. And so I had to explain to them that I was neither of those things and that I was Jewish, and they had never heard of Jews ever you know, mm-hmm. never. So all of a sudden I was in a position where I had to explain all of Judaism to people who had never heard of it before. I had to be a representative of all of, Ju- of Judaism. <laughs> and I wow. realized at that point that my education wasn't, I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable doing that. You know, I felt like I didn't know enough. Um, and so that was one moment where I really felt like I need to learn more about my own religion because I can't explain it. You know thoroughly to somebody who doesn't know anything about it um so so that's one moment um but th- i mean there are there are others i mean when once we got married and started uh our life together um, we uh we came across kobad and um that was another moment where you know we started learning a lot about uh, my husband had come from a, a less a, less um observant household than I had grown up in, and um, as he started learning more, then he, was, he brought me actually into, into more of it as well, so, so, you know, kind of evolved over
0: time. A little bit of a journey. That's great that you can do it. That you guys did it together. So now <laughs> let's talk about how you know. So many of these interviews that I do, um, it's really always the same. You know, uh, model of questions, kind of like what's the profession, what's the Jewish stuff, how do they interface. But it always. And someone said recently, oh, you're such a great interview. And I'm thinking I just use the same formula over and over again. Although I will say that the humans of New York photographer guy apparently also just asks people like the same three questions over and over again, and he gets these like great answers because. I think there's just like only a few good questions that you can ask people. But um, the next one I'm going to ask you, <laughs> that's it. I've, I've given everyone the secret sauce. It's all, uh, all been spilled. Um, how do the two interface? You know, first you have the sort of the journey to your different scientific fields you've studied and ended up in, you know, the oceans, Jewish journey. How does a woman of science also manage being a woman of Torah?
1: Well, it's so interesting because I feel like everywhere you go, and especially where there's not so many religious Jews, you are a Shalia. You know, you're you're a representative and, and you have opportunities that come up. Um, I've been, so in my current job, I'm involved in a lot of times being on a ship. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, I, when you go on the ship, you know, you might do your little Jew-dar thing where you look around and see if there's any other Jews there. <laughs> right. And often I'll think, well, you know, I don't really think there are. But then once they see what I'm doing, so I'm not eating the food that the galley is preparing, right? I brought my own food, so they'll see that. Or um, a few times when I've had to be on the ship when, you know, it's Shabbos and I have to prepare for that. so And they can see that I'm doing something different. You know, so once they start seeing that, then sometimes Jews will start popping out of the woodwork. Um, mm. You know, Jews that I didn't. Pick up on in my own, you know, survey, <laughs> and they I mean, they make a point to come over, and they'll say, "Hey, what are you doing? Where are you from? How do you, how do you do this? You know, all that kind of thing." And when they see that you're serious about it, it makes a big difference to them. It's really interesting. So
0: and, actually, you know, when I'm on a
1: ship. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, no, continue. I'll I'll say in a second. What were you saying? Yeah, I was saying when I'm on a
1: ship, I have to make sure I have to make every preparation. Um, for doing the Jewish things that I need to do. They have to be done in advance. So when you're on a ship, you can't just, like, light a candle, you know, wherever the heck you want to because, you know, there's engines, there's everything, there's all these regulations, there's danger. I mean, even people who want to smoke, they can only do it in certain areas. So, you know, I had to go to the people in charge and say, look, I'm going to light candles on Friday night. Um, where can I do that? Where is a safe place where I can do that? I have to explain to them I don't I can't eat the food that you're making. I'm sure it's wonderful, and I you know don't want to offend anybody. And they all make great food, from what I hear, you know. <laughs> but I want to make sure in advance. Okay, I'm going to bring my food. Where can I put it? How can I prepare it? You know all those kind of things. And people are so great, you know. I I can't even think of one example where people were negative about it they were all like you know first of all the galley wants to prepare things you know they say oh what can we do to make kosher food for you and i'll say well you can't really turn over your whole kitchen so let me take care of it (laughs) you know that kind of thing and then you know when i've had i brought on frozen food and i put it in the freezer and they just help me you know to do what i need to do and we work out a system and they've all been really great i I think when they see that you're serious about the things that you need then they will help you you know they really do
0: Wait, so you actually answered my next question, which I was going to ask about like what the challenges are, but now let me back up and um, get a little more clarity. Like what does, what does a, a daily sort of work day look for you? Because for me, work looks like just sitting on my couch in pajamas and like, you know, I'm on social media and writing stuff and that's, but it sounds like is your average day on a boat or was that just a certain part of your career? Like, what does the day in the life of a marine geologist look like? And is this boat a submarine, or are you above water? Just, like, take us through what that looks like.
1: Right. <laughs> right. So, I mean, so most of my days are sitting on, on the couch in my pajamas being on the computer, okay? So just like you, I like, do a lot of my job virtually, so a lot of it's on the computer answering questions and reviewing things and talking to other people who are on boats, um, uh, but Sometimes I get to go on the boats on the ship or the ships myself, so a large part of my job is coordinating with people that I put on the boats to do the social media and the things that are happening from the ship, so they're going to be telling the story of what's happening on the ship in these various scientific expeditions that we do. Um, and so I place uh, one or two or sometimes three um, education people on every expedition. They're out at sea, and I am their onshore support. So I'm talking to them, making sure they know what they're doing, helping them if something comes up, um, you know, giving them advice, all that kind of thing. Uh, and they're the ones that are on the ship. But sometimes I get to go on the ships myself. I try not to go on the long expeditions. So most of the expeditions that I handle from shore are two-month expeditions. And so one yeah. of the things, one of the challenges for myself, being a, a mom and a wife, and an uh, Orthodox I is that I don't want to go away for two months. Um, right. And so, thankfully, for me and, and, and for working with my bosses over the years, they understand that. And you know, I have little kids, and so I don't uh, do those. But a few times there have been shorter expeditions that I have gone on. And those are, you know, it's really exciting to be on a ship and a research vessel. Um, it's like a, it's a very industrial environment. Um, you know, there's a lot of machinery, and there's, um, th- there's um, uh, equipment and things that are going on. These are, these are not submarines. They're, they're research ships. So they're okay. sailing on the ocean, and they carry all kinds of equipment on them. On one that we did that was really exciting, um, we carry a, an ROV, a remotely operated vehicle, and it's like a robot, uh, collect samples from the ocean floor. It's called, um, the, the particular one we use has a name, it's called Jason. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Which is also my husband's name, so that was always fun. And we we put it overboard, and it lowers down to the seafloor. And there there's folks on the ship who are controlling it, and it has arms and all that kind of thing. And they're using to, they're controlling it and they're moving it around and using it to pick things up from the seafloor. So that's really cool. And when I was on a, that expedition, um, we were doing the same kind of thing that that people the other people that I managed do, which is we were t- we were doing Uh, social media, we were doing live ship-to-shore Skype events so we could show people what we were doing and talk to them and classrooms can talk to us, and they could ask questions and they could see the ship and interview the scientists and that kind of thing. So I was uh, helping with that operation. Um, And then sometimes I do um, teacher workshops on the ship where we bring 10 or 12 or 15 educators from the United States and from other countries. Um, on board at the same time, if the ship is in between its longer expeditions, and we bring them on board and they learn about the science and they do some of the scientific analysis, they get into the lab, they look at the core samples, they make um, slides for the microscope, and we sort of teach them all the different things that the scientists do so that they can then take that stuff back and do it with their classrooms back at home.
0: So what kind of feedback have you gotten from people within the – would you say that you identify as Chabad now or just sort of generally orthodox or a little bit of – a few different things? Um, we're, we're generally in Chabad, yeah. We go to Chabad school. We our kids to Chabad school. Got- any, any feedback that you've gotten from people within the community for doing something kind of more out of the box in terms of your career? Um, yeah, people are always asking me questions. My my
1: friends are always saying, oh, where are you going next? Where are you going now? You know, <laughs> cause, because I travel a fair amount um, and I try to bring stuff back for them sometimes or I post things on Facebook and they're like, oh, thank you for sharing your adventures. And people are always asking, um, particularly the students, because like, I do... Um, go into the school and talk about the things that I do and I connect them to the ship and we do the live events at the, my kids' school. So the, the kids are always asking, you know, how do you get kosher food? Like that's their one, you know, most important thing they want to know about um, because, uh, you know, nobody likes to go without food. So <laughs> um, so we're always talking about that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, generally, generally good Generally good positive. do
0: and yeah, any stories yeah. any stories of young girls or or kids that have mentioned that your career has sort of sparked their interest in science or the ocean or doing something more out of the box um yeah well when i've gone into the
1: school here in pittsburgh um i sometimes will get that from some of the students. They will they they will come up very excited, and they'll ask about um, how they could do things like this, or uh, what kinds of paths they could take, and they want to know more about uh, my background and the ocean and how they could do um, similar things. So I you know I always try to answer them as best I can and and give them ideas and connect them. Um, you know most of them are are young, so they're not ready to think about you know higher education yet, but. You know, I try to encourage them to, um, you know, pay attention to their science classes and to always ask questions and to be open, you know, just to have an open mind because, you know, like I was explaining earlier, I didn't set out with a very specific idea of exactly what I wanted to do. I kind of followed interesting things. Um, Mm -hmm. So when interesting opportunities came up, I was just open to exploring them. And so, um, you know, that's that's how it starts is by having an open mind about what you what you could do that might be related to the kinds of things that you're interested in.
0: So I have a daughter that already knows that she's interested in something stem related. She's thinking maybe engineering, but she's 13, so she's got a long way to go. So is there a good way to sort of for a young student to expose herself to I'm saying obviously there's like the internet, but I'm saying summer programs or <laughs> Any, like, sort of practical advice about sort of being the, the mom or the parent of a kid that's expressing interest in, in the science about kind of how to help fuel the interest?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's lots of programs out there now, especially in the summer, for these like, short-term camps that are often run by science museums or by... Um, uh, nature centers, or if you are talking about being on, you know, on ships, there's short-term things like that, and those are great experiences to do. Um, do short things like a week or ten days, or however you know, depending on how old your kid is. But to uh, to take advantage of those kind of things because that gives you really the gives, gives the kids a real opportunity to try things out. Mm-hmm. Um, and see if they really like it and see if it sparks their interest further. Or maybe they don't like it at all, you know, and then they would learn right. that. Uh, right. So I think taking advantage of those kinds of opportunities, I, one of the programs that I work on is um, for undergraduate students to have them go out on a research ship um, and most of them come off of that being so excited and so eager and so, you know, what could I do next, you know. But then there's always a few who would say, you know what, I decided I really didn't like being on a ship. And, you know, that's important to learn too. So, <laughs> you know, I think that um, I think taking advantage of those kind of opportunities and encouraging your kids to ask lots of questions and to follow up and, and see, how, okay, you have this question, where can we go to answer it? And, and also, as you, you know, I'm sure everybody knows somebody uh, somebody else. So, you know, when someone asks, you know, I'm really interested in doing this kind of science or that kind of science. Well, you know, ask me about it because maybe I know somebody who's doing that and I can connect mm-hmm. you to that person. Uh, mm-hmm. You can, you know, just have a conversation with them. They're like the mom or the dad of somebody else and, right. uh, you know, and use our connections to, you know, talk to people who are actually doing that. And even if you don't know somebody um, specifically doing, you know, that thing, then you probably know somebody who does. And so you just Sort of shake your tree a little bit, and and there'll be somebody out there doing it. Got yeah, so it. So start think, start, you know, start networking
0: me. young. So the question that I wanted to, I meant to ask you before, and obviously wasn't clear enough, that I'd like to sort of wrap things up with in our last few minutes. So you always had an interest in sort of evolution and the sciences, and then you became a person of belief or person of observance. So do you have any thoughts about balancing? Um, being a, a believer um, and also a, a person of science, how how do you come to terms with those two things? I personally don't think there's an issue, but I'm curious if you've given, you know, what some might think is uh, you know a challenge or attention. If you've given that any thought?
1: Yeah, I mean, I really don't see it as a as a conflict. I feel like we, as as people of, of belief, we we um, believe that um, Hashem makes the world um, and makes it. To look the way that he wants it to look, and, and act the way he wants it to act, and we can explore that. We don't understand all of it. Uh, there's so much that we can learn. Um, you know, there's you could go on forever, and there's so much that we don't learn. So I mean, that we don't. So you know, we can use all the tools of science and all the questions of science to um, to explore this really amazing Earth. Um, but, and that you know, science answers those questions about how things work, but it never answers the question of why. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that's what that's what the um, shaman and what Judaism you know gives us and the meaning of it. You know, and so. I'm going to
0: squeeze in one last question, and then we have to wrap things up. Were there ever any moments out in the ocean or sort of involved with nature that you recall that were especially spiritual or sort of? had sort of a transcendent nature to them? For me personally, I guess you heard my talk, I had a, a tropical rainforest in Hawaii that was really out in nature that sparked my religious journey. So have you had anything that was especially profound in the nature space?
1: Um, well, definitely being out in the water it, it, where you can't see any other signs of human existence, you get a really appreciation for you know, the, the enormity of the earth and the, the truly amazing nature of it, so I've, I've definitely experienced that. And then also when you're in an environment where there's not many other Jewish people and it, uh, just being on a sort of industrial kind of ship like the ships that I've been on, and this is not nature itself, but it's the nature of, of people, um, they ask you questions um, that you might not get otherwise, otherwise, and that makes you think about them yourself you know so questions that you get from non-jews uh, and people who just aren't exposed to Judaism um, really make you reflect yourself i think and and i've definitely had that experience a lot and that's really excellent amazing. well you know, that's thinking.
0: Thank you so much for for speaking to us today, and thank you so much for being an example of someone that is doing something outside the box, sort of outside the, you know, sort of typical boundaries and setting an example for other listeners today, young or old. And we wish you a lot of Hatzlacha uh, as you continue your journey from sea to sea. And thank you for listening. You can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.